Welcome to the Recruiter Abroad podcast. My name's Dulta Doherty, and in this podcast series, I'll be interviewing expat recruiters who've emigrated around the world. This week, I'm speaking to David Ayer. He's a former colleague of mine uh, when I was working in Australia. He's been in the industry for about 15 years. Uh, he's recognized as one of the best recruiters and recruitment leaders in the accountancy and finance world in Australia. Uh, David is a natural born winner. He has worked for Hayes, he's worked for Half, he's worked for Robert Walters, he's been the MD of the Anderson Partnership and he got to a stage in his career where he realised that he had spent an awful lot of time making money for other people. So he decided to become a part owner of 2XM Finance where he set up the accountancy and finance uh, function for them in Sydney uh, he walked away from potential shares in the Anderson Partnership and uh, we discuss all of this and how he builds teams, how he identifies managers, you know, how he running four offices for the Anderson Partnership was still billing and uh, I think you'll get a lot from this. I would say you'll get more from this than, than most of the interviews that we do because David doesn't overcomplicate it and he gets right into the detail and one of the things he said to me when I first met him was recruitment simple. It's just that people overcomplicate it. Hope you enjoy. Let me know what you think. David Ayer, how are you? Oh, I'm very well, though, sir. I'm very well. How are you the same? Uh, it's, it's the morning here, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there. Um, you, <laughs> so, look, it's great to, great to chat to you. My biggest problem today was I didn't know which podcast to put you on. I didn't know whether we'd go on the Recruiter Startup School or the Recruiter Abroad. And because you're kind of a blend of both, we'll probably put, out, put it out on both channels. I uh, yeah, I think you, a blend of both is the politest way anyone's ever put it, daughter. So uh, that's the nicest we'll thing you've ever that. been called. <laughs> it is, mate. We'll go with that definition. I can live with that. All right. So uh, before I jump into it, where, where where are you right now? That doesn't sound like you're at home. No, I'm uh, I'm a father of uh, of one, another one on the way. So I've had to find a a secluded space at the back of the uh, the local uh, pub. Um, and uh, I'm just uh, enjoying a bit of peace and quiet from the family and, and vice versa. So, uh, yeah. So are you not that guy with the sports car and the fancy shirts anymore or uh, have you found a way? Oh, no. Look, uh, I'd like to think I am, but um, <laughs> no, the, the reality had to kick in at some point. Uh, daughter and, and the kids and the, uh, have definitely done that um, and, I, and I don't begrudge it in the slightest. Um I still look back at those days with a little bit of embarrassment, to be honest. But well, we're going um, to jump it. We'll, we'll jump into them. Um, <laughs> so, Dave, I've given everybody a bit of a rundown into your background, but can you uh, can you can you just elaborate a little bit and uh, let us know how you got into recruitment and uh, and, and just we'll we'll kind of go through your career a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, I uh, I'll keep it as short as I can because, as, as you mentioned yourself, uh, uh, previous chat, uh, I've been in recruitment for a long, long time now. Um, How many years? Very surprising. It's fifteen plus years. Let's just say that. Um, and you know, you break that down upon reflection into into three sections. There were the five years I had in the UK, where 
you're very much learning your stripes and um, and uh, you know working in the market that, that most uh, most of us do uh, originally uh, before getting the opportunity to come out to Australia and, and my first location was was Perth. What uh, what year did you go out to uh, Australia? Uh, I actually I actually moved to Perth in 2007. Um, I, I chose Perth because my family, my sister in particular, were living there. Oh. Um, and I'm a big, a big fan of the sunshine and, and, and of all the cities I've lived in, it gets a higher percentage of sunshine than anywhere else. So Perth was my first landing point in 2007. So you almost missed the recession as such. Yeah, interestingly, from a timing perspective, uh, and my career is, is very much a story of luck with timing. Um, I didn't entirely miss the back end of that recession and I got into recruitment just at the back end of the, the 2000, uh, 2001-2002 uh, UK one. Um, but when I got to Perth, people were still using the, the word boom. The market for me was, was very, very unusual. Um, you know, companies and clients were hiring uh, you know, left, right, and centre, and there were bidding wars for candidates. And having just come out of London, you know that 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 definitely wasn't the case back home. So it was nice to experience uh, what people refer to as the boom, um, but it didn't last long. By by sort of early two thousand and nine, that had um, that had normalised um, in my definition. I don't think it it necessarily crashed to the the degree that some people think it did, but I, I'd certainly say you know it had clearly slowed down and and become a more normal market. What were those early days like? You, you obviously you had done more than your apprenticeship in the UK. You did five years, um, then you joined Hayes. What what was what was that like as an early transition? <laughs> yeah, look, there's an interesting version on the on the period I had with Hayes. It's a company that I didn't think I'd work for at any point in my career, but I did really enjoy it. Uh, I think for a first move into the uh, Australian market, it helped me both socially integrating with a lot of people and. Um, with the market as it was at the time, I was able to, uh, you know, by being pretty normal in my definition as a recruiter, and by that I mean meeting a lot of people and working hard, I was able to make a, a bit of money. Um, obviously, not the high percentages of that money that I would have liked to have been getting, but I mean, I'm never going to knock the the, um, the experience I gained in that ten months with them. And you know, as a result of that ten months with them, I met um, some good friends, and, and one of them led to the opportunity with Robert Half, which was where I spent the next three and a half years. So. Um, yeah, it was an interesting first year and the market was, was, was buoyant. Um, but I found that a lot of the people when I got here were, were a little bit lazy um, and were taking that market a little bit for granted. And you know, for me to come in and, and achieve highly, I, I simply just did what I, what I saw was, was normal and that was getting away from my desk and meeting people and working hard. And you know, as a result of that, you know, along with a number of other recruiters at that time, um, you know, we were making some good money. And uh, having a little bit of fun, as you mentioned earlier, with sports cars and flashy clothes. So, um, yeah, it was a good time. So you, uh, so you leave Hayes, and, and it's not like joining Robert Half anywhere else. Like, this was a startup project, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, myself, Nadia, and, and Eddie were the only three sitting in a serviced office on day one. Um, so, yeah, very unlike, uh, and I can't comment what it's like to join Robert Half in a, in a different location because I haven't done that. But, um, you know, I can speak highly of the experience, the support, um, you know, of a global business, um, albeit, you know, it presented challenges being in the most remote city in the world. So, you know, we were three good recruiters um, with support to call upon. But, you know, fundamentally, we were working off the uh, Dun & Bradstreet credit list um, mm. and cold calling people 
um, to map out the market and, and start generating and building a company. So it was, um, yeah, it was an interesting challenge and one that, uh, you know, I learned a lot from. What would you say your key takeaways were from that? That was your first startup as such, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, and the key takeaway from that was really that, uh, and I've subsequently learned, is that nothing really changes in a startup environment, even with technologies now and social media. You know, the big difference, LinkedIn is very prominent in our world at the moment. And, and back then in 2008, it wasn't as big, um, you know, significantly uh, not as well used. Um, so we weren't able to rely on the obvious social media um, tools to map the market and to approach people. So the, the fundamentals of a successful startup for us back then were, were, again, being on the phone and getting out in front of people. And for me, across the, the subsequent startups, even even my most recent, my own business two and a half years ago, I still stick to the true the true nature that a good recruiter uses the phone um, and uses their, uh, you know, wears out the soles of their shoes more than they ever rely on any technology. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting period. We had, like I say, great support. I was surrounded by some good recruiters and um, it was a fantastic three years. Okay, so sports cars don't come for free. What type of numbers were you guys doing in those days? Oh, look, we were, um, we were slightly fortunate, I think, from a, an awards perspective. The Perth office became the fastest growing office in their, in their global portfolio for one of those years, I think the second year we were there. And then as a result, you know, personal accolades were, you know, the number six billow in the world in my category and fastest or second or third fastest growing divisional manager. Um, we had some of the best rookies of the year. Um, we had some subsequently after my leaving, there were some, you know, global number one billers um, that we brought into the, into the group um, that stayed on. And, um, you know, yeah, you're right. The numbers we were billing were, you know, myself never over a million, but there were people doing, you know, subsequent to that in mid, you know, early mid million dollars per annum, which, you know, is often hyped up and talked about. But again, these were, these were just, you know, myself included, just normal people working hard. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that was very much, we launched in 2008 and this was the period when everyone talked about it being a global financial crisis. Their, their American offices, which was the bulk of their, their footprint, were obviously struggling. Um, and Perth wasn't booming at that point, but we were, still, we were still churning out fees and enjoying ourselves. And enjoying yourself, a lot of sport, a lot yeah. of parties, all that. Yeah, the, ex, the expat life in WA, as you know, is um, it's very... Uh, it's it's very outdoor driven. You can um, you can be outside because of the weather. So, you know, being a big sports fan myself, in particular football and golf, um, you know, I was joining local football teams and, and 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 enjoying success there. Playing golf with my friends on a regular basis. You know, being at the beach, um, attempting and failing to learn to surf and and, and various other bits and pieces on the water. <laughs> I've done that but, as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's different stories around successes and failures of that over over another conversation, but. Yeah, very much trying to just enjoy the fact that when you make plans in, in, in Australia, generally in particular in WA, you know, you can plan to be outside at the weekend. So, yeah, we were we were working really hard, but the, the cliche is always live hard and work hard. And, and, and we were doing that. So uh, how many years, how many years were you in half for? Uh, three to three and a half. Uh, off the top of my head, I think it was about three and a half years. Um, 2008 to about 2011, something like that, 2011. What powers of persuasion did Robert Walters have to be able to headhunt you out of there? Interesting. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't take a lot of persuading. Um, I was at a point where the Perth office had had grown to. I think we had about fourteen or fifteen people. Ed Cross, rightfully at the time, had been had been made associate director for WA. I wasn't, and no disrespect to him, he admits I wasn't personally learning anything from that. 
Um, and when I'd signed up, I'd signed up to report into somebody else who'd subsequently gone off and started their own business. So at the time, I was talking to them about what was next for me, and, and they were looking at me going over to a Melbourne office. Um, I, I personally, I just I met my current wife, um, uh, who I didn't know at the time would be, but I'd, I'd kind of hoped would be, and I didn't really want to move, which was which was unusual for me at the time. But um, Robert Walters got wind of that through a friend of mine, and, and, and obviously put the feelers out. And, and, and the reason I left was because I got I got the opportunity to instead of just running the perm division to, to take on that extra um, scope of temp and perm. Mm. Um, in a business that you know, at the time I looked at and thought had a you know a solid reputation, if not necessarily um, outstanding. They'd lost a lot of people. The team needed rebuilding, um, and I saw a lot of opportunity. So it, it wasn't so much of a, an arm twist to get me out. I did walk away from, as you always do, some some healthy commissions um, and uh, an opportunity to go to the Reach for the Stars Awards with Robert Half. But you know, those things are uh, they're important, but they're not as important as I've always valued the career move. So. I made the move to Robert Walters and, um, you know, again, I had a, a really interesting time with those guys. I, uh, I was starting out in recruitment then and yeah. I, I remember you coming in and uh, completely dismantling who, 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 was, who was in that team and then picking out who, who you were kind of, kind of going to keep and all the rest. And you did this within a two or three week window, it seemed. Mm. It, how how do you how do you like come to those thought processes so quickly on who's going to make it who's not how uh, how, how am I going to structure this team? Look, I'm sure I'm sure the people that were there to experience it will have their own version of of how I did it. Um, mine mine was really just you know by that point with the experience at Robert Half and the previous uh, you know hiring experience I'd had, I have a very clear idea of of what works and what doesn't, and you know. I was able to assess historical numbers for a few of the people in the team. I only inherited five people. Um, you know, like I said, they'd lost a number of people to startups in the, in the previous six months. They weren't having their best period in that, in that WA era and things did need to be changed. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted the role. Um, so I, I had to be reasonably brutal because, you know, whenever you're doing a startup, the key criteria are you know, to get the right people in, to invest your time in training them and, and to lead them by billing. And you can't you can't carry the wrong types of people, and it, and it's a two way thing. It's not just me thinking they they weren't necessarily going to be successful. I think one, if not two, of the people that stand out in memory went on to other companies, and I think they've done you know okay. Um, I haven't really paid too much attention to it, but they weren't necessarily suited to what I was trying to create in terms of the activity I required, or the the mindset, or the attitude. So you have to be a little bit um, ruthless for everybody's sake, um, and you know, I was fortunate that with my move, I was able to rely on a few of the guys coming across from, from Robert Half as well. Um, so I had a, you know, I had a few that we kept and, and, and a couple of those have become very good friends and have stayed very much in my, uh, in my career history and um, a few people that came across with me and, and we built from there. So it was, it was quite a quick shuffle, as you say, and you would have seen that from one end of the office. But, um, you know, there was a fair amount of consideration and, and calculation in there. And when you're when you're looking at the consideration and the calculation, what what are the personal attributes that when you look at a team or a group of people, what what do you look at outside of their numbers? What do you look at to go, okay, you're going to make this, and this you're worth the investment of my time. It's uh, hard to summarise, daughter. It's one of those if you could verbalise it, you'd write it down, and then it'd be easy to build a business. Um, yeah, I know, right? That's what I was asking. It, it's, it's, yeah. There, there is no, there is no secret ingredient. It's not make, it's not like making bread. But 
Um, yeah, there are some fundamentals uh, for me, and, and, and those are demonstrated in, in not often um, obvious ways. I'm very much more around the way people act and the subtle message they send and why or how they've, how they've done that. So, you know, how quickly they respond to a request, how diligently they carry out um, a, a, an exercise, um, how hungry they are to, to ask for more, how prepared they are to try things on their own. Um, and, I, and I've been fortunate and, and I've tried to stick to, you know, attracting people that in, in particular in startups and rebuilds, you need that proactivity, that, that willingness to, to take on board some criticism and also understand, you know, the positive message behind it, to embrace it and to, and to want to learn. Um, you know, those who don't want to learn, those who don't want to evolve and who don't know where they want to be in the next two to three years, you know, they'll always struggle under me because... I to be for myself to be successful, I need to be able to develop those beneath me um, because they're the ones that ultimately make me redundant and, and push me on to having to do other things. So, you know, I am looking for future leaders. I'm looking for people that want to have a big career. Um, and and I'll, I'll in return, I'll, I've always invested heavily in those people. So it, that's what I look for. It's very hard to measure and, and to verbalize, mm. but it's, it's, it's one of those things that I think with experience you, you kind of get in your gut and, um, you know, you, you, you kind of just have to believe, you know, you know what you're doing. So Walters Half and Hayes would make most recruiters shudder, like that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's that's the that's the Olympics of job of job hopping. It's, it's, that's full on. And yeah. So you've you've done three big businesses. You've experienced what bureaucracy is. What mm. a, lot, a lot of things that those big businesses have in common. They've a lot of good stuff as well. But an ex- a startup came along and really mm. engaged and excited you. What what was it about about this opportunity that 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 really got you going? Yeah, it, it was a very exciting opportunity to be presented. Um, I literally had eighteen months at Walters, and I'd put together that team, and we'd had a record year. Um, everything was pointing in the right direction. Um, you're right; there was bureaucracy, and there were some challenges at that time that you know maybe would always be there in a bigger corporate, um, or maybe just would be there with me in a bigger corporate, but. <laughs> this opportunity came along with uh, with the Anson partnership. They'd had success on the, in their first three years on the East Coast. Um, Brian, at the time, the uh, the MD was ex Robert Half, so I knew of him and we knew of each other um, from our, from my time there. And I always respected him as an individual. Uh, Niall, who owned the company, you've only got to check out his background. And 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 and, and ultimately, when I met him, you know, had a lot of synergy with him. Um, and I could see the two of those two making a very strong team. So the opportunity to create something from nothing um, with less support than I had at Robert Half and more breadth of responsibility than I had at Robert Walters was it was, it, it was exciting. And then there was um, an so opportunity. It was the first involved. time you were the main man in, in your career yeah. as well. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I still had a, a support from the East Coast, but it was... Yeah, this was the moment to to really judge me on. Um, you know, we started out in serviced offices, but ultimately, you know, it came down to picking the offices, negotiating the lease, furnishing the office, hiring everybody, um, building the database. You know, let me take you back a step. So, when, when you're looking at hiring everybody, so, so mm. obviously you're getting the infrastructure in place, and you have a bit of help from the East Coast on that. When you're mm. looking to build a team out, how do you do that? What what are your like? what's that process look like for some, for anybody else that's listening, that's thinking of scaling a business? For me, uh, again, I was fortunate. I, 
I mean, you always hope when you go to do something like this that you've impressed at least one or two people and they might come with you. But again, I was fortunate that three or four came with me um, from previous employment. And and that gave me an, a, an immediate, you know, feeling like it was a company and not just me sitting in a room. Um, I'd continued to headhunt from the UK using LinkedIn and, and I've always successfully sourced people from there. So we had one or two quick arrivals um, in that regard. And, well, and what I was looking for was, was a mixture, you know, in, in the initial startup. Myself, I can handle about four or five people um, as direct reports before it starts becoming a little bit too time consuming to do the, the correct training, um, the correct, uh, you know, administration and, 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 and also then the balance of billing and, and leading. Um, so you do need to start identifying, you know, who's going to be your your immediate sort of 2IC and your successor. Um, if you can get a second one, then fantastic. And I was fortunate very early on to have uh, Dara, um, who, who followed me across a few months after from Walters and a young lad called Tom, Tom Birch, who joined me um, out of the UK. And, and they, they both very quickly established themselves as, um, you know, people that I liked and, and got on with, but also that, that were, like I said earlier, you know, they were hungry. Um, they knew where they wanted to be. I knew very clearly what I needed to provide them with in terms of support and a platform. Um, and then as a, as a team, you know, it's easy to take the accolade and say, Dave, they built this, but you don't do it on your own. You need, you need those people to come in to help you. You know, Nadine came in very early on and we did have a couple that came and went, um, but very quickly, you know, around those individuals, we were able to create a structure of who's going to run, you know, the commercial team, the professional services team, the insurance team, and then, you know, really it was about mentoring them to find people and bring them in and help them to hire and train um, as opposed to it all being about me. So for me, the, you know, the message I would send to anyone looking to start up or to scale quickly is you, you just can't do it on your own. You've got to identify one or two key people and you've got to get them into your mindset and, and, and line up a way that you're going to attack and create, your, 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 you know, your unique selling points. And then you've got to attack it together and build together. You can't do it on your own. And how do you train a manager? How do you how do you take somebody as a biller and train them as a manager? One of the one of the best lessons I learned, and, and this was primarily whilst at the Anthony Partnership. So you know, I always tip my hat to what I learned there from both Niall and Brian. Uh, at the times, you know, you always challenge the concept of billing, visiting, and regging people whilst you're trying to do everything else that you're being asked to do. Um, but their argument is to lead, and I think the best way to develop management um, and future leaders is to lead them by example. So. Whenever I was having a tough period of time, um, either saying to my boss, Brian, you know, I'm struggling to get my fees out or I'm struggling to hire, or I'm struggling to find time to train, you know, because he was doing the same thing. But whilst running four offices, it was very hard for me to say, you know, I don't have time to do it because he'd say, well, I'm doing what you're doing, but I'm doing it four times as, as, as much. So it was then a case of time management and, and he would teach me and, 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 and vice versa. And, and I found the easiest way to teach managers was to show them what you did, explain how you did it and why you did it, and then let them, and then let them learn from their own mistakes on some occasions and guide them on others. And, and, and Dick, I'd say it's the individuals that, mean, that do it. Does that mean like running from a, on a like stuff on a daily basis or a weekly basis, or is it is it diary management you're talking about here, or a mixture a mixture of all, all of those? There were certainly you know regular catch ups with the team um, on a daily basis. There were some key meetings that the, that the team would have with their with their staff. Um, around activity or around the day plan. There are weekly meetings to review, you know, what successes they've had and, and what their strategy is for, for that coming week or that coming month. Um, so there are regular, you know, daily, weekly and, and quarterly um, structures that you have. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily 
anyone that's worked for me will know I'm not necessarily the the biggest and most structured person, but I do a lot of my meetings on the fly. On the way out to meetings, I'm always touching base with people, how they're going and um, getting their take on things. So I think when you're leading and when you're consumed by um, having to bill and having to, you know, be out of the office, you need to be a little bit more adaptable. If I'd, if I'd had to document every quarterly review and every monthly review and oh, no, have daily nine o'clock, I wouldn't have had time to do everything else. So yeah. there is a little bit of an ad hoc nature. But then, like I say, I was very quickly in a position where we had Dara and Tom um, Nadine um, and subsequently Sean Toomey that joined you know I had those three to do a little bit more of that uh, administrative side and it allowed me to be a little bit more um, a little bit more sort of on the fly so I suppose the what was the big attraction to joining the Anderson partnership as opposed to just having your own project it, it, it was mm. really that they were built to sell wasn't it yeah there was a very clear message early on about um, uh, a concept called uh, called Comet is, is the word, and it's a it's a quasi options kind of scheme. So you're never a shareholder, but you're you're incentivized to be around when the company sells, and you earn through performance of yourself and the office or the business that you're the team that you're running. Um, this this um, structure of uh, a percentage of sale price, and and that really was the carrot that got me. Um, you know, Niall had success in building and selling a previous company. He had a very clear timeline for doing that. I've always backed myself to be able to, you know, to, to build teams and to be successful myself. So I figured, you know, whatever I could get out of it on top of that, you know, be it three or four years down the line, um, you know, that would just be a little cherry on top. So it wasn't the main reason for doing it, but it was a big factor because you, you know, you're going to punch your card along the way on your commissions and your overrides, but, um, I've met a few, I've met a few who've, who've, who've exited successfully through that and it's really worked out for them. So you never, you never really know. Um, No. So you're in WA, you know everybody, you're, you're, you're all, business is pretty easy, you know, you know every FC in town, you have your database, all the rest, you, you're just absolutely obsessed with the new, aren't you? So <laughs> you, you just, you, you just had to go again, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, uh, my wife said the same thing, actually. Um, but it was, it, this was, I mean, the, the opportunity the guys presented me came about because of their continued growth and, and Brian was starting to get Paul Pillar for, to post the brand I, I was historically you know more synonymous with was Walker Anson, which was accounting and finance um I felt like as a regional director there was less support from Brian because of time and I don't blame him it was just circumstance so I very much was communicating to them my ambition to take on or to sort of support him more um whether that would have been you know helping with Singapore or, or whatever it had been but they then came back with this proposition to take on a national um MD role for Walker Anson, which involved being in Sydney. I'm, the rumblings were there for the WA economy. Um, my little girl was just over one year old. So a lot of things lined up at that moment, which made it possible to move. You escaped um, another recession. I did. And this is why I said earlier, it wasn't judgment at all. So I'd love to be able to sit there and say every one of these, I could see it coming and yeah. I knew what I was doing. But I didn't. Um, not to the entirety that it happened. I... Yeah, I, I, my, my circumstances lined up and, and I was able to take advantage of, again, what was a significant career step for me from running you know, one location to running four. Not many people get to make that move. Are you and, still billing at this stage? Yeah, absolutely. So when I went to Sydney, um, I had to start from scratch. I didn't know anyone. As you said, I went from seven and a half years in Sydney, in WA, sorry, where I kind of had a decent network that was affording me um, a nice lifestyle and I got to know them personally. So stepping off the plane and, and, and being 
that new recruiter again, but now with a, a managing director title and a, and a bigger cost base to cover. So, you know, again, it comes down to, to people. I, um, you know, I inherited a, a good director of Sydney. I'd left behind a very capable director of Perth at the time, Dara. Um, I inherited two established uh, directors in their, region, you know, in their own states, in Wayne and, and, and Graham, in Melbourne and, and Queensland. And I was able to find the time to, to get back to doing the basics, which was pick up the phone, get out the door, wear out the soles of my shoes and start to create my name again. And So you're running, you know, you're running four offices and you're doing a startup desk at the same time. Yeah. And I had a boss telling me there's always time to do more because he was running eight offices um, and, and still billing. So, um, you know, it was, it, when you look back, it's kind of insane, uh, you know, what you're able to achieve. But do yeah. You, do you still believe that still uh, all, all leaders should vote? Um, I can I can certainly yeah uh, the simple answer is I do I think the degree or the structure of how they're compensated as a result of that billing does need to be considered more um, I think that you know certainly the the advantage and I do this in my current company now my own business I, I certainly see the value of being a leader and as opposed to sitting there and and and, and saying when I used to fill jobs so you get the advantage when you're an MD or a director level of one office or four. When I went interstate, I went out on meetings with people. I was able to talk about the market firsthand because I was still recruiting. I was still facing the same challenges of candidate sourcing and picking up jobs. I knew my competitors because I was, you know, I was kind of hearing about them on different job orders and from different firms. So I could talk more knowledgeably about the market. I could demonstrate a quicker value to my client and my job seeker. So I, I always believe that the staff and the people I worked with, um, I genuinely believe they respected me a little bit more because the, the things I was teaching them, the training them, and everything I was asking them to do, I was doing it myself. And as I had with Brian, like I say, I tip my hat to him. You know, whenever I was feeling down, he was always able to show me a way that he was doing more and that I was capable to do more. Mm. And, I, and I feel I was able to bring that to the table as an MD that you're not there simply saying, you know, do the impossible. You, you just need to learn better time management and better delegation. Um, you've, but you've got to have, you've got to have good people. You cannot, you cannot do any of the things I've done without good people. What does an average day look like for a guy who's running four offices and building, building a team and building a desk? Pretty standard. Um, you know, Claire was running Sydney, so she would, she would run the, 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 the daily meetings there. Um, you know, I'd either meet a candidate or be party to those meetings in the morning. Um, then you get about, you know, some BD, you're working jobs still. So you're, you're still arranging interviews, taking references and doing everything else. Um, you know, one day a week would typically be set aside, you know, for a couple of hours to, or an hour to have a chat with each of the locations. So, um, you know, Melbourne, WA and, and, and Queensland. But again, they, you know, they were, they were not in, in too much need of micromanagement. They were very capable individuals. It was, it was often, you know, troubleshooting, bouncing ideas out and, and, and making suggestions. So, um, my day was, you know, not dissimilar to a normal recruiter um, with a lot of administrative stuff. You know, we were writing training programs. We were coming up with incentive um, trips and strategies. And you're in there with Niall um, picking his brains about how you sell a business. You're in there um, with staff telling you they're not very happy about their manager or whatever it might be. So it's, it's, a, it's a blended, mixed up week um, made up of the, the four criteria, always looking to hire people, always looking to, to train the people you've got at all levels, always looking to lead them and build and, and then always working on how you're going to retain them, you know, what they're there for, what they want. So a combination of those four things, uh, you know, always keep you busy. 
And as soon as you get the desk built up, everything's running smoothly. Hmm. What happens then? Um, yeah, I, I started for the first time, I started to realize that I was building my network uh, for someone else again. And having done that for seven and a half years in WA, I was confident of where I'd be, you know, in a number of years in Sydney. I didn't necessarily want to be getting the percentage of the billing or a percentage of the revenue or the percentage of the profit that I was getting in that business. Um, you know, if I was going to be out there doing what Dave Air does, which is build networks and build business and generate revenue and build teams, then I wanted to be doing it for a much higher chunk um, of, the, of, the, of the business. I you know, had lots of conversations with my management group at the time. They were as keen to sell the business as anyone, um, but it wasn't happening. And there's lots of reasons for that, and, and they're not needed to be gone into. They're, um, you know, some I think we, we as a group could have controlled and some I think that we just couldn't have allowed for. Um, but it, it, it became a calculated guess for me that I didn't think we were going to get this business away or Niall was going to get this business away uh, in the next 12 to 18 months. And I was presented with an opportunity to do a startup where I would own a much higher percentage of the business. It would be documented. It would be mine. I still had big group support. But the build, you know, basically the building framework, the team I'd be building, the brand I'd be building, it, it would be driven and it would be mine and I'd be compensated you know, on a higher scale. So it was a calculated risk between do I think they're going to get it away and all this time I've spent building this company and all this sort of, you know, if you like, um, quasi-equity that I'd kind of built up would have added up to a lot of money had he sold it. Um, and so I was, I was very mindful for the following 18 months to two years. I would certainly kicked myself. Um, but also been very grateful that my mates had made their money had he sold it. But I didn't think it would happen. And, and, and look, time's always the best, uh, the best judge of a decision. And, and, and to this day, they haven't sold it. And, and I've got a very healthy business now. So I'm grateful that I had the balls to make the decision I did. But again, it was another tough decision, but it was driven by career opportunity. So you're, uh, you're doing the startup again. You've done this a few times, but this time, maybe you don't have quite the support that you, that you had before. Um, what was that like in terms of getting staff set setting things up? Was was it just was it was it easier or how did you find that? Look, uh, yeah, there is support. We are um, we are a separate business as part of a group of, of companies. Um, I do have a very good board uh, made up of some very successful individuals. So there's 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 counsel there if I need to seek it. Um, but by now, you know, two and a half years ago, I was I was pretty versed in building. Obviously, it's attracting teams and attacking the market. Um, I, you know, I, I sat in an office with uh, an established IT recruitment business, and, and and there was some some culture and some some sort of uh, cross selling that we could achieve from that. But for me, it was about just getting out there and, and finding recruiters. Uh, I know I can do that. So my mindset at that point is: you're doing what you know. You don't need as much as much support, and, and as a result of not having as much support, you're earning a bigger chunk. Uh, and owning a bigger chunk of that company, so you know that was the that was the culmination of everything I'd learned pre that to come and do it for myself and and mm. and still retain a little bit of support where needed from a very very um, uh, impressive uh, board of, of of people that are in my uh, very much in my world. And have the recent changes affected hiring in uh, recruiters? Because I, I know. I'm not doing as much business in, in, in Sydney anymore because uh, it's only the real senior people I can get through. Mm, yeah, it's, it definitely affected it. Um, in some ways, I think it was needed. The changes that were made, I think, you know, I've spent a lot of time with 
the visa experts, you know, trying to understand the whys and, and, and the motivations behind it. And there are the, polit- you know, the political benefits for people that have made these decisions. But as an industry, we were taking an, a, a distinct advantage of the, of the rules. Um, and, you know, I do think that there were some valid reasons for the changes. I, I don't think the changes are helping anybody and are necessarily going to achieve what they wanted. I think they've gone too far, maybe too extreme um, with the now subsequent salary requirements and so forth. But, um, and it is affecting those that are, you know, already in this market on existing visas that some, you know, simply want to move and don't want an increase on their base salary. There are those that don't want it. So it's presenting challenges, but it's, um, I think the reset button needed for the industry, and it's certainly happening in our businesses, we, we are being forced to look at, um, you know, unskilled, I say unskilled, sorry, I understand. Uh, local talent that's, um, you know, that's already here that's, that's got its PR or, or mm. that's got a you know, passport. And, and we're looking to train them and develop them. I'm just grateful that I got in when I did and I've already now got my, um, my group of management and, and associate directors that are, um, you know, that are in and um, we've got those people. So, yeah, look, we, we've actually got quite a high percentage of Australians in our company. Um, into XM Finance, and you know we're just continuing to uh, to look at expats. I'm, I'm still looking at people from overseas. It's just meaning that the years of experience and the success story in terms of personal billings, I, I expect a little bit more than maybe I used to. I can can you walk more. us through what that looks like? Yeah, for, so for me, the sweet spot. I know I'm actively always looking. So um, you know, I, I use LinkedIn every month, and I'm, I'm I'm targeting a certain sort of audience, and that audience is. You know, realistically now it's anything between two and four years experience at an established recruitment firm um, in an accounting and finance uh, brand. Um, they need to have a degree and, and a solid billing history. And I think, you know, if we look at the UK market now, that might that might culminate depending on where they're based, somewhere between 150 and, and upwards thousand uh, pounds per annum. Um, at that point, I have a conversation and, you know, we ask people to come out on a working holiday visa. We give them the six months. And if they're happy and we're happy, then there shouldn't be any reason for us to not put them on a on a on a four five seven or a, you know a, a, an ongoing visa. So there's definitely not like it's a, a no no. Um, it's it's doable, but you know previously I would have took somebody with six months or or even twelve months financial recruitment experience and took a bit of a a leap on them for the salary that was on offer then. But for now, that extra that extra bit that the government is making us pay it just increases. Which is 90,000 plus super, right? It is. Yeah, 90 plus super, which um, it just puts the overall per annum cost of and having an individual. If you look at you know, the rental portion and the, all the other overheads that they contribute to, it puts it up. It doesn't make it unmanageable, but you just need to see a little bit more sort of experience in the industry, a little bit more knowledge that they want to be in it for the next three years they know they've had some good times they've had some bad times mm. and unfortunately you can't have that in your first 12 months so mm. you know like i say if you've been in it for two and a half two upwards years you know i i hired a guy uh, only about four or five months ago um with that profile and i tell you what he's come down here um and and he's and he's killing it he's doing really really well um but again you know he's just a normal normal guy in his mid to late 20s um now got three years recruitment experience, been with me for about eight months, um, and and he's worth the money. And you know, I take ten of them. So you know, very much the positivity for me is still there to hire, but it, it just means the requirements had to, my expectations had to, to to go up a little bit. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And what's uh, what's next for you, Dave? Yeah, look, we, I always uh, you know me quite well. I, I always have this um, this this burning ambition to to just keep doing new things and. 
Um, You're obsessed with the new, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, there's a set of, there's a set of stars that are starting to align for me with um, our bigger group of companies that are very established in the UK and have been for a long time, but they don't do finance uh, recruitment. So there's an opportunity for me next year to launch the brand in the UK. Um, and that'll be me going over there. My partner's got family in Europe, so that'll make it easier for her. She's a Colombian, so we're a long way from all of her family, but she's got family in France and Germany. My little girl will be six, so starting school over there will be will be logical timing. Um, and I feel like the Australian business here with the, with the, the group of directors I've got, uh, a new guy I've just hired in our Sydney office, I feel like with the right the right management training and, and kind of mentorship that will be ready for me to, to step away and, and for these guys to, to do what other people beneath me have done and that I did in the past. And that is to step up and really kind of build their own, you know, build their own career, build their own business. And they'll all, they'll all be given equity in the company to do that. So my, my opportunity to go there is selfish because it's, it's good for me. It should be good for the company. Um, I'll be able to come down here and continue mentoring them on a quarterly basis. Um, and yeah, it's exciting. We're looking forward to being in the UK and, and, and like you did yourself, mate, you know, getting into that European travel, um, maybe a bit more of an affordable lifestyle. Uh, now I need a bigger house with the kids. But um, yeah, it's an interesting challenge. It's an ambition. It's something the group are supporting me with. But there's still, you know, still tomorrow to deal with and next week to deal with. We've got to, you yeah, know, we've got to keep an eye on continuing to hire down here, continuing to train the guys I've got, got to retain them. Um, and then we can we can always uh, we can always do these exciting things in the future. Great stuff, David. Thanks so much for your time. Not at all, not at all. It's always a pleasure to catch up with you personally. And um, you know, if anything I've shared with the audience tonight, um, you know, helps them in any way, then that's that's really what I get great pleasure from. So, best of luck to to yourself, mate, and uh, and the family. And uh, I look forward to chatting with you again. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you over in the UK. No, I look forward to it, mate. And uh, thanks for taking the time to have a chat with me. Um, and I'll speak to you soon. Speak to you soon. Take care. Well, there he is. The man, the myth, the legend, David Ayer. I enjoyed, uh, enjoyed catching up with him. Uh, really great guy, David is. And he is brilliant at what he does. And it's very hard for me to tell you how good he is if you don't see him in action. But he just keeps it real simple. You know, he, he, he knows his stuff. He knows his discipline. He knows how to recruit. He knows how to win business. He knows how to manage staff. And he leads from the front, manage, managing four offices and still billing. A lot of people in our industry, I hate to say it, well, I don't really. A lot of people hide behind spreadsheets, call themselves leaders call themselves thought leaders, call, you know, they, 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 hide, they hide away from the cutting edge of going out there and winning business. And he doesn't do that. He shows you how, how it's done. He gives you a bit of freedom to do it, brings, back, brings you back in if you're not doing it right, and, uh, and, and leads from the front. He's built teams wherever he's gone, and he's done really well. And he doesn't overcomplicate anything. So it's, it's quite simple. Here's the process, stick to the process, and... And, and execute it, execute it really well and build relationships along the way. He doesn't overcomplicate it. He, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't let himself get caught into doing things that aren't, aren't productive and, and don't lead him to winning future business. Um, anyway, that's enough of me blowing smoke up. Great interview, great guest. Big thanks to David. See you all next week. <laughs>